0: God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He says, be still and know that I am God. All right, Trinity Church, how you doing today? Yeah, you're like, after that video, I don't know how I'm doing. That's great. Now uh, it really dials into where we're going today. I want to introduce you, you know him well. Walter Lynn. Would you say hello to Walter?) <laughs> So we are beginning a brand new series in this brand new year called Still, addressing uh, primarily what do we do? What does the Bible teach us to do with our anxieties and fears? And so in case you don't know Walter, Walter is married to Gail. They have three adult children and uh, 10 grandkids. And within that, Walter has been involved here at Trinity Church for decades. Uh, He's served in so many different capacities. Centuries. 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 One thing I forgot last service... (laughs) Walter was actually on the search team that brought me. So if that is not going well, you know who to blame <laughs> among that other group of, of uh, folks. But, um, but within that one thing that's been neat, I've actually known Walter for about 15 years. He was an amazing resource and ally when I was up at High Desert Church, having been someone that I got to know as a friend, someone that I would often refer people to. Walter has been uh, a marriage family therapist for decades as well and has a practice up there in the high desert, which has been a huge resource for us, but then also just involved in parenting conferences, I would have him come and present, and just a great friend. So it's been really good, and we're just grateful to get, we're going to team teach today. So I'm going to get started, and then Walter's going to come join us in just a little bit, so I'm really glad he's here today. Well welcome to Portland, by the way, today. You <laughs> kind of don't even know what to do, is like it's spitting from the sky, or? what's happening, but we're grateful for a little rain and grateful that you, um, you know, it's funny, in most places of the world when we say when you trudged out today in the rain, um, most people are like, that's weird that you even think that's an issue, but we do in Southern California, so thanks for making this a part of of your day to join us. If you're a guest today, I want to especially welcome you to Trinity Church. My name is Todd Arnett, I'm the lead pastor here. And like we said, we're, we're jumping into a brand new series we're really excited about, spent a lot of time praying about, preparing for, literally months in the making of really wanting to say, God, we want to come to you rightly related to fears and anxieties that we face. So we're going to dive in today. In your Trinity this week, you have notes that look like this. If you want to get those out, have those ready to go. Also, if you have a Bible today. We're going to be in Psalm 46, if you want to make your way there and have your your spot ready. What we're excited about related to this series is being able to look at truly a a biblical approach to how to deal with something that, at varying degrees, really does put a stranglehold on our lives. And as we look at this subject, we're real excited. I love today, we are normally going to look at narratives throughout this series, but today we're beginning with just a great foundational approach, looking at Psalm 46, looking later today at Philippians 4, but doing that also with some really pragmatic tools and Walter's experience and expertise is going to be be a huge help on that front and you're going to appreciate that very much. So let's begin with our now what statement. And now what statement means this isn't just a summary idea. What am I supposed to do with this this week? And we begin the series with this. You can be still in the midst of your fears, because it is almighty God who is directing you to do so. It's not just, I want to say from the very beginning of this series, we're not going to ever say, be in a posture that is consistent with this idea of being still, just because you think happy thoughts, just because, or because you want to escape reality and just kind of go, that's not what the Bible teaches at all, but it's because of who God is. That you can be still in Him in whatever you face. Number one in your notes today, God invites you to find your refuge in Him. God invites you, He calls you in to find your refuge in Him. We're in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge in strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. And the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done and the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and he burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we begin today with this really powerful psalm. A psalm that, for many of us at least, lines within it are very well known. And we're going to move today from it being good information or interesting to helpful. What am I supposed to do? This psalm, I think, squarely talks about these issues of fear and anxiety. Where do I go with them? Look how the psalm begins. It begins with this idea of a communal conviction about the role that God plays among our fears. Meaning... It doesn't say my refuge, my strength. It says our refuge, our strength. So as a community of people, not necessarily standing alone facing fear and anxiety, but as a community, we say, God, we look to you. We're going to see that theme repeated throughout this series over the next seven weeks at times when it is groups of people, a community of people who look to God in the midst of their fears. And we see that God is our refuge, our protection, our safe haven. He's not just strong, but he is our strength. Meaning that strength is something that we have access to, that we can call upon. So there is a connection there that is this idea that, God, we are on the same team. You're someone that I can rely upon. And I love this descriptor, he is ever present. How amazing is that truth, that there is nothing that you go through there's nothing that the people in your relational world that they go through where God is not present, where he is not in the midst, where he is unavailable. He's, none of those things are the case, but he's not just there, but he's a present help in times of trouble. And because of who God is, because of the attributes that are true of him, therefore we will not fear. I love it how it even says that as a result of the character and the nature and the way of God. As a result of those things, therefore, we will not fear. We chose to begin this series in 2019 because we know that it is just a growing epidemic in the way that fear and anxiety have a way of gripping us and even taking control of our lives. And so we want to be helpful. We see that God has something very clear to say on the topic, and we want to help you live in a posture of being still, though the earth gives way. Look in your notes. This is a powerful truth. The Hebrew word translated as still in Psalm 46 literally means to sink or relax. It literally means to sink or relax. So in other words, put your full weight into God. Lean into who he is and his protection over you. And we, we want to stay in this real world, not this hypothetical world, think of the last time that fear and anxiety was that thing that was just kind of creeping up, grabbing a hold of your neck, your throat, and realize how still, how relaxed were you? And I go, man, those are convicting words, because I think about the last time that I was struggling with something of a, gr- a fear that was gripping me, and I was anything but relaxed. Relaxed. So this passage is giving us some even perspective that we don't normally have and causing us to think maybe in some ways that are not at least natural, not the way we would naturally respond to some things. And for that, I'm grateful. This psalm is probably one of the ones that is best known, but I would say in some ways for all the wrong reasons. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of you met our friend, Eric Tannis, last March when he came to preach for us. Eric is a professor at Biola, was our camp speaker for our students at Hume Lake this summer. Eric's a great guy, and we were together up at Before Forest Home this summer, and it just kind of came up in conversation. And he said, when you look at Psalm 46, and then you see the way that visually most churches or, or Christian organizations represent these words, they've got it all backwards. And I remember that was kind of a launch point for me to kind of think about this This passage, be still and know that I am God in a way that is really more true to the text but not very much seen. Let me give you some examples. I was on the internet and these are some graphics of different ways that people demonstrate. And by the way, I could show you dozens of different slides or or maybe Christian posters or the theme for a retreat. Be still and know that I am God. Let me ask you, how could you not be still in that moment? this serene lake at at, uh, daybreak, this wonderful bench just kind of taking it in. That would be really hard not to be still. Take a look at the next one. Just, you know, sitting up on the beach, kind of taking in the day, just kind of watching you just send those waves are slowly rolling in. I mean, can you imagine, look at this, just kind of this serene scene. I I just am am falling more and more relaxed just by sitting here and looking at these images. (laughs) This is awesome. Look at this last one. This is great. If you take me to the Bahamas, I will indeed be still. No matter what is going on in my life, I'll have an opportunity, I'm sure, to stop and be still. And this is typically the way I could say I could go through these, I could give you dozens of examples of the way that this verse is used visually represented this way. But I'm not sure that these have anything to do with the passage we just read. Because the passage that I read from Psalm 46 did not say, be still and know that I am God when all of the things in your life, in your circumstances line up to make it really great to just take a nap. It said it really to the contrary. In the context of the earth giving way, in the context of mountains falling into the sea, In the context of oceans roaring and foaming, of mountains quaking at their surging, when the nations are in uproar, when kingdoms fall, when desolations have been brought upon the earth, even at the Lord's doing, in those moments be still. Look in your notes. When your world is falling apart, that's when you're given the directive. And by the way, we've been making a point more and more. This is an imperative verb. He says, talking about God himself, be still. Though the earth's giving way, be still and know that I am God. Maybe the most appropriate image that demonstrates Psalm 46 might be something more like this. Seemingly everything falling apart, coming undone, craziness around me, even the image that we have chosen for this series. I feel like Chris did such a great job of getting the essence. Some of you saw this at Christmas Eve and you were kind of like, I am really confused about what is gonna be happening in this next series. And and now that you're here today, it's kind of beginning to make a little bit more sense. But not when. I'm at a, a bench at a lake view and just having this wonderful devotional time with the Lord. But when I can't even crawl out of bed, be still and know that I'm God. And I want you to see this big promise that goes within this. Catch this. The goal of the psalm that we just read is actually not about you. It's about God. God. It's the idea that he will be shown to be absolutely in control. It's not that we would, he would make sure that our lives are as comfortable as we would like them to be, or even to dissolve the issues that are creating fear within us, but to demonstrate to the nations, to demonstrate to the earth that he is God and he will be exalted in their eyes. Maybe you could say it this way, be still and know that I am God, And that everyone everywhere will know that this is who I am. That's the promise, that God will be shown to be the almighty that he is. And in the midst of that promise, you can lean into, you can relax, you can be still. Walter's going to come and share with us some pragmatic tools and how we can walk in that promise. Walter.
1: Thank you. In your notes, number two fear and anxiety tend to rob us of our peace and our present. Just by the nature of those two words, when we're worrying or when we're fearful or when we're experiencing anxiety, we're thinking about something that might happen in the future. And in many of those cases that's very appropriate and understandable, but in in some of those cases though, many of those cases, they rob us of the, the ability to live in the present in the power and the protection and the peace and the strength of God the Creator, as we've just read in Psalm 46. Now, let's kind of get into it this way. Uh, Maybe the best example uh, recently that we can think of that we experienced together is called the holidays, right? So finish this. It's beginning to look a lot like... Let's try it again. It's beginning to look a lot like toys in every store, (laughs) trash all over the floor, (laughs) right? Presents are all gone. The toys are being returned to the store. Maybe that's the next phrase there. I don't know what it's like in your family, but uh, there are two of us now in our empty nest at our house, and I don't want to mention anyone's names, but uh, one of us Uh, is really meticulous in how those gifts are wrapped and placed just appropriate underneath the the Christmas tree. She's really good at it. (laughs) And the other one tries really hard, but somewhere in the past I gave up. So I kind of use, I call them sacks, she calls them bags. I use the same Christmas sack every year, and it's like, you know, I just, I just want to make sure I don't buy something too big to fit into the bag. <laughs> and uh, as I'm un- unwrapping my presents, uh, she's, uh, you know, be careful with that, because we want to keep that. So we want to keep that bow for next year. And I'm thinking, well, I'm using a bow that I used 10 years ago, and <laughs> the same bag that I've been using for the last 10 years. And it's like, you know, I, I want to rip those presents open and throw that trash out on the floor and stuff it in the bag and throw it in the trash, right? It's like, no, you need to. we need to save that ribbon. Right? Well, raise your hand if you experience joy and excitement and merriment over the holidays. Yeah. Hey, raise your hand if you experience stress over the holidays. <clears throat> See, the, the problem with, with the stress part of it is... If we're not careful, we we take a snapshot of that, and that's what we live with. And some of us can become so anxious or fearful about those things that we end up fearing what's going to happen next year. As a young man, I suffered from what's referred to as seasonal affective disorder, or SAD. It's a very sad thing to be a part of. It's more, more commonly referred to as the holiday blues. And I got into that uh, initially because of things that went on in my teenage years, uh, in my family, problems that my father and I were having together. And he died very suddenly when I was 17 years old. And I was just getting ready to go off to college to play football in Colorado. And it didn't quite work out as well there as I expected it to. And then Christmas happened. And just the the feelings of, of missing all those good times that we used to have for this really downtime during the holidays, uh, created inside of me the sense of apprehension and dread, which carried on for the next few seasons. Now, I'll tell you, there's, you'll not find anyone who loves Christmas or the holiday seasons more than I do nowadays. Maybe having 10 grandchildren help, right? <laughs> right. Or a wife who doesn't care who, how I wrap her packages. Interestingly, there, the word Fear appears 139 times in the New Testament. The greatest usage of that word is "Fear not." Interesting. The word "fear" is phobei, which from which we get the word phobia. So, we're to not develop phobias. The word, the phrase "Fear not" appears 365 times in all of Scripture. So, you're talking about a good New Year's resolution. You could take uh, one of those every day for 365 days and then, all of a sudden, Christmas is back again. Right. Right. Now A lot of things happen to us when we're experiencing fear and anxiety. There's physiological counterpoints, there's emotional. Physiologically, uh, when we're anxious, it affects the way that we breathe, it affects the way that our, our cardiovascular system functions our heart rate increases. One of the best things we can do with someone who's experiencing great anxiety is to try to help them start taking in deeper breaths and hold those breaths in to get more oxygen into their lungs because that light breathing, you're not getting as much oxygen into your lungs and it affects you physiologically. Another thing that happens is because of those things that are going physiologically, we can develop uh, physical pain. It becomes chronic pain and then we become fearful about experiencing more pain. till eventually, emotionally, what happens many times when we're experiencing debilitating anxiety, is we become fearful about becoming fearful, or we become anxious about becoming more anxious. And if any of you have ever experienced those kinds of anxiety attacks that just cripple you, you can become anxious about never having one of those again, which probably ensures more likely that you will have one instead of the opposite. The thing that we become most fearful of or anxious about is, in many cases, what do other people think of us? What do they think about the way I look, my weight, the way I dress, the way I speak? What about the way that I act? Who's it? Eleanor Roosevelt, quote, if I can remember it, you won't worry so much about what people think of you when you realize how seldom they do. <laughs> I always thought my mother wrote that. So. <laughs> so I heard that my whole childhood. You know, like many of you, I had problems with acne as a child, and I'd say, "Mom, I'm not going to school." She'd say, "I'd go ahead and go to school. No one cares about your acne." And I'd, say, "Well yes, they do. Everyone's looking at me, and they're, they're looking at me and my, my pimples, and they think I'm ugly. And my dad would say, I'll leave the kid alone. Let him stay home. So, And then another uh, quote that comes to my mind is Howard Hendricks. He says, we become, it's that we're no longer who we think we are. We're not who others think that we are. We are who we think others think that we are. Let me say it again. Think about this. We're not who we think we are. We're not who others think that we are. We are who we think others think that we are. Where does that come from? It comes from a a misunderstanding of who we are in Christ, of course. So the definition of success might be like this. The world's definition, the horizontal definition, is be perfect, then you're acceptable. God's definition is you're acceptable, period. Now I will perfect you if you'll allow me to. I want to build into you those traits, those gifts, and those talents that I created in you. Well, let's talk for a moment about what what those things are not. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us also throw off everything that hinders our encumbrances that weigh us down and the sin which so easily entangles. Now the author goes on there and he says, "...and and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, let us run again with endurance the race set before us. Considering him, Jesus, who endured the cross, despised the shame... And is now set down at the right hand of God the Father. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If we're growing weary and we're losing heart, then we need to back up and look at what the author is saying here in this passage. It's this great picture that uh, Jesus, is, after everything that he's been through, he says, keep your eyes on me. I want to be the author and perfecter of your faith, just as I've been the author and perfecter of of that great cloud of witnesses that came before you who placed their trust in me and sought me as their refuge, even in times where it was almost impossible to imagine how to do so. And I want to write the script for you. Now, encumbrances are not sins. Encumbrances are things that it causes us to stagger beneath the weight of those things. It's not a sin to have financial struggles, it's not a sin to have marital problems, it's not a sin to have physical issues, it's not a sin to be anxious. As a matter of fact, anxiety is, is, a, is a very natural response in many cases physiologically to things that we see are around the corner. And they prepare us to take on things that we see coming. Where we get into trouble is when that anxiety and that worry becomes so strong that it becomes an encumbrance that weighs us down and causes us to stagger beneath the weight. And then we take our eyes off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we take the pen out of his hand, and we start writing our own script. Now, it makes sense that we would do so. And then we become like the frog in the kettle. It becomes nice and warm and we become anxious about being anxious, and then our anxiety itself becomes an encumbrance because of other things that were encumbrances that we're anxious about. You get that? So what do we do? We acknowledge that we're doing it, and we give the pen back to Jesus. And we're no longer staggering them beneath the weight of that encumbrance, because if we continue doing it, then encumbrances can become sins. They're not sins, but if we mishandle them, then they can easily become sins. Now, sins are very easy to understand in Scripture. We violated one of God's laws. He convicts us. We confess in First John 1. He forgives us, and we move on. Encumbrances are very confusing. Anxiety is the gift that keeps on giving. We become so anxious or so worrying or so fearful that we continue to... Be anxious about being anxious. So we give the pen back to Jesus and allow him to be the author again and perfecter of our faith. Well, let's talk for a moment about some things that trump fearfulness and anxiety. The most obvious one is God's love, isn't it? Finish this statement. Perfect love cast out all fear. Say it again. Perfect love cast out all fear. Say it with me. Perfect love cast out all fear. All fear. It wouldn't be nice if we could just park that statement in the back of our minds and just keep it there for those times when we need it the most. We become fearful and we start to take the pin out of his hand and we say, oh no, wait a minute, I'm not doing that. Perfect love casts out all fear. Love trumps fearfulness. Thankfulness, as we're going to see in a minute in Philippians chapter 4, trumps anxiety. So one of the best things we can do when we're feeling anxious or we're becoming over, overcome with fearfulness is to get out a piece of paper and write down five things that we're thankful about. You know what happens if we write down five? The sixth one comes easier. Then all of a sudden we've got ten. And you know what happens while we're doing that? We're, we're changing our focus from those things that are fearful or that are causing us anxiety and we're changing the way that we think about the world that we live in. It's an amazing thing to see. And in the years that I've been a therapist now, 40 years now, people ask me all the time, uh, what have you learned that is the most effective thing to overcome depression or anxiety or fearfulness? And the word is just simply thankfulness. Because if you can get someone to start thinking about the things in their life that they're thankful about, then you've helped them refocus from the future to the present and you've changed the way that they're thinking. They literally have gone from one side of their brain to the other side of their brain. If you have someone hooked up to a brain scan, at the same time they're doing that, you would see the brain operations change from one operational center to another operational center. Now, what about humor? Humor also trumps anxiety. It's impossible to be laughing out loud, genuinely. I'm not talking about anxious laughter, which we all have. It's impossible to be experiencing objective humor and to be anxious at exactly the same time. There's just a ton of research that has shown that. So if you're feeling anxious, go to Netflix and watch some old I Love Lucy shows and exaggerate your laughter. Now, refocusing or changing your context also trumps anxiety. So in my life, it's not unusual for me to get phone calls throughout the week from someone who will call and they'll say, uh, say, Dr. Lynn, and I'll say, no, it's Walter. I'm sorry to call you, but I'm just so anxious. I feel like I'm about to crawl out of my skin. This is what I always say to them. I say, thank you. For calling. Well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to disturb you. No, you did the right thing. So if you have a friend who's experiencing anxiety or fearfulness, and they call you, the first things that come out of your mouth are you say, thank you for calling me, because they were anxious for making the phone call to begin with. Make sense? And then you walk them through something that in their normal life they can do, but they're overcome with anxiety now. So You say, you know, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up and get dressed and call me back. Okay, I'm dressed. What do I do now? I want you to go to Starbucks and call me back. Okay, I'm at Starbucks. What do I do now? Order a Frappuccino. It depends on what time of day it is. If it's in the daytime, in the morning, say, get, you know, get everything on it. The caffeine, the sugar, the whipped cream. If it's in the evening, say, get a, a, a non-fat, decaf, no whip, right? <clears throat> or go to Barnes and & Noble and get a, a, a an oatmeal raisin cookie and a cup of coffee and a stack of magazines of your favorite hobby. Don't pay for them. They'll let you look at them if you're eating their cookies, so <laughs> it doesn't cost anything. And And changing the context from those things that are bombarding my mind and are causing me to be so apprehensive. I've changed my apprehension now from something that is debilitating to something that is replenishing. It reminds me of uh, the serenity prayer. You've heard it before. This is the part that you're familiar with. Most of you have heard this before. The serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. The courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And yet it goes on. Living one day at a, heart, at a, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Jesus says, don't worry. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 10 He says, have courage, and remember that I love you so much. I care about the sparrows or the ravens, and I even know the numbers of hairs on your head. He looks at Todd, and he says, there are 2,500 hairs on his head. He looks at me, and he says, there's 250 on your head. (laughs) There was one row out here I noticed earlier that The men, if you add up all the hairs on their head, there's about 250 between all six of them. (laughs) A lot of wisdom in that row. It takes courage. It takes courage to take on the things that we can change and courage to quit trying things that we can't change. And from there, let's look at Philippians chapter 4.
0: All right. Take a look in your notes if you would, the third point today, you avert anxiety through prayer, thankfulness, and God's promise of peace. You avert anxiety through prayer, thankfulness, and God's promise of peace. <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> one thing we, we've talked about, Walter and I had the, just the, my privilege to meet a couple times getting ready for today. You, you already know this, this is not a once and for all, I'm just done now with fear and anxiety because I prayed once. This is a thing, There's is a, a constant rhythm that I put into my life, just like there's constant rhythms that are already debilitating your life. And that's why I love even that word, you avert it as though it's something that is going to come again, but I have a, a way to deal. By the way, how many of you have never heard the last two thirds of the serenity prayer that Walter just said? Isn't that powerful? Yeah. Like we printed that in your, your notes so you could have that with you. I told Walter, I've never heard the back end, there's so much great theology within that there already was at the beginning but man as you just read that through and I love that phrase to be reasonably happy now but supremely happy forever with him that's just a great attitude to have like God I realize that this life isn't meant to be supremely happy but I'm anticipating what's to come so you
1: you know another word that or phrase that comes to my mind is um, changing the phrase from I have to do something to I get to do something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is a a great way to refocus our anxiety and to to bring it down to a healthy level. I don't have to do a lot of things that I think I have to. I get to choose to and I also get to choose not to. There's a lot of ways to win and sometimes when we're anxious we feel like there's only one way. I've got to do it exactly right.
0: Those options become few. Well, take a look at the passage that Walter alluded to, Philippians chapter 4. It's up on the screen in your notes. Let's read it together out loud. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Walter and I wanted to conclude our time together today just by kind of conversationally walking through that text a bit and and you look at the beginning do not be anxious about anything man when you stop and think about that that is it what doesn't fit under that umbrella right i mean everything in our lives but in every situation so it's kind of twice saying the same thing don't be anxious about anything but in everything do this pray and One thing Walter and I were sharing a little bit about, or even our own personal journey a little bit with this idea, and I was sharing with Walter, I remember a specific time, I was a youth pastor up in Oregon, I was on my way to seminary that day, and I was just overwhelmed. Not so much by schoolwork, not so much by the, the other parts of being in ministry, but by the carnage going on in the lives of the students I was working with. So many came from homes that were just so upside down and messed up. Some of them had a lot of self-inflicted pain. And I was just overwhelmed. I had that moment when that fear and anxiety was just creeping, just strangling me on the way to school. And I remember coming even onto the freeway and just thinking, you know, God, you've given me a resource, though. You've clearly told me, and this is in your notes, pray more than you worry. And that's just been an axiom. I don't do it as well as as consistently as I would like. But that has been in my mind, probably that's been 12 or 15 years ago, in my mind and on my heart, pray more than you worry. And that's been so helpful just to be a a thing just to quickly bring to mind, I'm worrying about the situation, I need to engage in prayer. Walter, you'd mentioned before about the power of thankfulness. And how important it is that Paul's very next words, pray, bring these things to God, but do them bathed in or or connected to thankfulness. With with thanksgiving, yes.
1: It's interesting, he refers to the peace that passes understanding, which replaces the anxiety that passes understanding. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of anxiety or anxiousness or worry that we can attend to that is beyond our ability to even understand where did this start? What do I do with it? And and Paul says, I'm I'm glad you asked. Here's what you can do with it. Take your prayers and wrap them up in thankfulness and bring them to the Lord. And the peace that passes understanding will now rule in your hearts instead of the anxiety that passes understanding. Thankfulness is the vehicle by which we get there. He goes on later on and he says, "And, and think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Whatever is pure or lovely, whatever is admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. If uh, if you're having a hard time thinking about what to be thankful for, think on these things, and it will remind you, I've got a lot of things in my life to be thankful for. Then he sums it all up at the end. He says, you know, so as a result, I've learned the secret of being contentment in the worst kinds of circumstances and in the best kinds of circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.
0: All things. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So, contextually, Walter just walked you through that's the flow of thought in Philippians 4, where we've even just kind of highlighted two verses out. That's kind of what's going on. You'd mentioned last service, even about the, the context that Paul was in in writing yeah. these words. He wasn't sitting on a park bench no. watching the stillness of the lake. Yeah. He was
1: in a, a smelly, rotten dungeon, not knowing if it was going to be today that they come in and decide, decide to whip me around a little bit again, or kick me around, or beat me up again. And in the midst of that, he's saying, you know, it's not so much don't be anxious, it's have peace. The emphasis isn't on anxiety, it's on peace, the kind of peace that we can only get from God, who is our ever-present help in times of struggle so there's a, an autobiography in five easy chapters some of you may have seen this before Portia Nelson is a is a songwriter and actress you may uh, actually if you see a rerun of sound of music you can notice her she's the uh, one of the nuns in the abbey where Maria was in the sound of music she's kind of the kooky one But she's also a very famous songwriter and author. And she wrote this autobiography in five easy chapters, which goes like this I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. This time I see it's there, and I still fall in. It's a habit. Now my eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down another street. <laughs> Is that a great one? So I'm sure none of you can relate to
0: that, right? So. Well, one thing that we recognized is that we lo- I love when Walter shared that with me, this autobiography in five easy chapters, that you're somewhere in one of those chapters. We get that. Many of us are not in chapter five. It's much earlier on in the story. And so our hope is, is that today what we've wanted to do is lay a biblical foundation, but also give you some really good tools and even the opportunity to even have someone pray over you, maybe share about that.
1: Yes, if we've triggered you today somehow, if you are experiencing anxiety yourself or fearfulness, or you're just kind of overcome typically by worry, or you are related to someone, or you are praying for someone who else is, I'd be very happy to pray with you when we're finished here. I'd consider an honor to do that. And there'll be some others down here to pray with you as well. But don't hesitate to do that. There's certainly nothing wrong with asking for prayer. It's a pretty smart thing
0: to do. And what I'd like to do, I'd like to close our time by praying together. So would you bow your head with me today? I want to give you the gift of just some reflective time this morning. So often we move right on to next and don't pause to consider what we should do with now. And I want you to do this. In this moment, I want you to identify a thing. It doesn't have to be the most There might be 30 things, but pick a thing. A thing that has been the source of fear and anxiety in your life recently. And I want you in the stillness of your head right now, in in just your interior voice, would you name that thing? Name that person, name that circumstance, whatever it may be. Name that thing. Give it that clarity, that... um, pronouncement in your own mind, and then secondly, I want you to do this. I want you to identify something that you heard today, whether it was something out of Psalm 46, whether it was out of Hebrews 12, whether it was out of Philippians 4, maybe it was one of the tools that Walter was sharing. Identify one thing that clearly can address, can clearly be a part of that thing that you've identified previously, having such a grip having such a stranglehold on your life. And I want you in this quiet space just to commit to God, God, this is a thing that has been very challenging to me. It's not like you didn't know it, but I am confessing that, admitting that today. And in doing so, I recognize that you've given me a tool today. You've given me a resource I didn't have before, one that I've had that I just haven't engaged this week. God, this week I'm going to do something about what's been shared today. It's going to be more than interesting, more than information. I'm going to do something about this particular fear or anxiety. And I'm grateful and I want to move forward seeing this be the beginning of change. Some of you may be here today and you would say, Todd, I I can't even really come to God in that approach because I don't really have a relationship with him. Never really addressed him. My prayers seem like I'm just talking to the sky. And I have great news for you today. If you're here and you are ready to make that decision, ready to say, Jesus, I respond with gratitude to what you've done for me. I have good news for you today because you can do that right here, right now, right where you sit. A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Admit that you've lived life on your own path, your own way, not according to God's plan. B, believe. Believe that what Jesus did in living a sinless life in dying a sacrificial death, and raising supernaturally on the third day, believe that Jesus is the only Savior available. And believe that what he did and how he lived, he did that for you. See is choose. Choose today to say, Jesus, I put my full weight, I lean into what you've accomplished for me at the cross and the empty tomb. I'm gonna choose to live my life out of that truth, out of that identity, following your example. You can make that decision right here, right now, and I pray that before you even leave this place today that you would. Father, we wanna thank you for giving us tools, giving us truth related to the fears and anxieties that we face. Would you, over the course of these next seven weeks and beyond, be our refuge when facing fear? Help us this week to be still. And we pray in Jesus' great name, amen. Amen.